Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Positive Politics, where together we will tackle all of the crazy events occurring in our political atmosphere and consider how we can address these events and change our country for the better and create a better political environment. First off, I want to apologize for being gone for a bit, but I am back now and have a lot of episodes prepared for you guys. Today, I'll be sharing with you guys the first part of my interesting conversation with Ron Meyer. Ron exemplifies positive politics. During his term in the Loudoun County Board of Supervisors, he worked across the aisle to forge consensus and address the needs of my community. Through his hard work, the board passed a plan to build a parallel road to Dulles Toll Road so that Loudoun residents can avoid paying high tolls. I know Ron from his 2019 state senate campaign. I worked on the campaign as an intern and saw firsthand Ron's ability to connect and empathize with residents and bring people together. Despite facing a lot of personal attacks from both sides, Ron took the high road and stayed true to his message. That is why I asked him to be on the podcast, and that is why I am so excited to share with you the first part of our conversation. In this episode, we discuss Ron's experience working across the aisle in the Board of Supervisors, running a state senate campaign, and combating party polarization. Be sure to pay attention to his empathy, pragmatism, and desire to unite people. Now, Without further ado, let's hear from Ron. Ron, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, Ashwin. Thanks for having me. So um, could you introduce yourself and discuss how you became interested in politics and um, your current run up to now? Sure. So uh, I'm Ron Meyer. I just got done a few months ago with a term on the Loudoun County Board of Supervisors, where I was the youngest ever elected in that position. Essentially, the county board governs all of the land use decisions, transportation policy, um, as well as all of your typical county services like fire and rescue, public safety, courts, uh, and the like as from, a, from a funding perspective, um, as well as we provide the funding and the capital for uh, the school system. And so for building schools and for funding the school board's budget, um, which obviously provides education for, for the public school system. Okay, so um, officially the um, the Board of Supervisors is a, a nonpartisan legislature. Uh, like on the ballot, there is no R&D next to um, the candidates' names. But, well, um, for, the, for the school board, there isn't. But for the county board, they're actually, well, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. For the, for the Board of Supervisors, they got rid of the partisan letter, although, it's, although still, it's, still, it's, still yeah. partis- it still is partisan. People run it for public right so yeah so that's what uh like um while it's not there officially like you there are the republican uh board of supervisors or the democrat board of supervisors so could you just like reflect on your experience working in that environment uh, and trying to work across the aisle and um if the the dc partisanship ever you felt crept into loudon's board of supervisors what I loved about uh, serving in local government is that it's a perfect place for positive politics because uh, there's so many issues that cross party lines or aren't really partisan, right? You know, tolls and traffic and land use decisions about what should be built where, that doesn't necessarily fit a partisan perspective. And people within parties have very different views on it. It doesn't mean to say they aren't divisive or have some you know, more hot button topics, but those things don't necessarily break down by party lines. And so 
a lot of the biggest accomplishments and things that I was able to work on on the Board of Supervisors were bipartisan votes or were things where my closest allies were from folks from the other side of the aisle. And so, you know, it, it nationally, you see it to some extent where you forge relationships with people on the other side, but it's very, very partisan, you know, and everything's trying to score political points and things like that. A local government, it's really not that. And that's what's so great about it and great with engaging with it. Now, partisan politics and national politics can creep into local government. And uh, sometimes people try to do that as a way to try to divide. For example, um, a lot of times they'd bring up resolutions in support of various national policies. And so mm -hmm. they'd have a local county board vote to say whether or not we support some sort of national agenda, right? And so then we basically fall into, well, are you a Republican or a Democrat? How do you feel about that issue? Which is kind of a dumb thing to do because it's not like our county endorsing a policy or another is going to move the needle on that necessarily. Yeah. Uh, and so I tried to steer the county away from doing that and really more towards trying to fix traffic problems, create high quality development, you know, make sure we keep a safe county and, and provide the best services we can and provide the best return on investment for, for a county that has relatively uh, high taxes. Mm -hmm. And um, do you think, um, not to like put you on the spot here, do you think that's you being unique or do you think that's like the general culture of the Board of Supervisors? Well, I think local politics itself uh, is really more geared towards nonpartisanship. Um, but as far as my own approach, I definitely took that and ran with it. Um, and so, you know, I'd, I'd like to say, say that, that, you know, certainly it's a unique aspect, but I think it lends itself to it. But that's part of what I liked about it and embraced it. Not everybody embraces it. A lot of people who run for office do so because of how they cared about national politics. And that's really one of the reasons why I got involved in the first place is because you know, on the national side, I felt like uh, the younger generation was being left with a lot of long-term problems and these older legislators and legislate and a lot of people in public office now have started to get younger. But back when I started getting involved, the average age for people in Congress was above 60 and people in the Senate was way older. And so could you really feel like those folks are representing us? And the answer was obviously no. And so one solution was for younger people to get more involved. And when we're talking about long-term problems, you know, the whether it's the national debt, social security, uh, Medicare, or whether you're looking at something like the environment, right? There's a lot of non, there's a lot of problems that are being left to the gen next generation. And without us being actively involved, I think that they would keep being punted to that next generation. And so that's why I got involved is really from a more, more national perspective. But then when you learn about national or local politics, how much of a difference you can make at the local level. It's still the same principle that applies. You can take a more long-term approach. You can try to build a county structure and county government that's for the really built for the long-term and for a high quality of life. And so, you know, and the great thing about the local versus the national is that it isn't as partisan. And from a campaign perspective, it allows itself to be not as partisan as well, because instead, instead of just doing campaigning that's on partisan issues or lightning rod issues, you can really try to find uh, campaign issues that reach across the aisle. And right. so for me in particular, my first election in 2015, when I ran for the board, um, you know, I ran on a transportation issue and got more votes than any other person in my party in the area by more than, you know, 10%. 
And in mm -hmm. some cases, if you look at the top of the ticket, which is essentially usually what carries the rest of the ballot, I overperformed the top of the ticket by more than 25%. And right. so, and I was a 26 year old, right? And so mm -hmm. that wasn't because, that wasn't because of, you know, people necessarily liking me as a elected leader. It was, it was because I ran on good issues is what I'd like to think anyway. Um, and so that's what's great about local politics is that you can reach over. If you're a Republican, you can reach out to Democrats. If you're a Democrat, you reach out to Republicans on issues that impact people's lives rather than stuff that's just sort of the lightning rod culture issues. Yeah. Well, um, so that's, that was in 2015. And obviously the um, overall political atmosphere was completely different than, than it is now because I feel like um, in this, in the 2019 election, uh, we kind of lost sight of that. Um, even in the local area, it didn't really feel like people were running on issues and that we were able to, um, like that de Democrats and Republicans were able to work together. Um, do you think that was just part of the campaign and um, the campaign just became more divisive? Um, the, and the actual legislature, like when they actually the, all come together and work, it won't be? Or, the, shift, the shift came in 2016 right. when, when Donald Trump won the presidency. Right. And it started before that. Right. So the, the shift towards partisan, uh, more hardcore partisanship and towards radicalization on both sides really started under President Obama. Right. Where progressives really stuck together and then the Tea Party formed and the right really consolidated um, and opposed Obama at every turn. And, you know, the president also treated Republicans very badly as well. Uh, and so it started there, but there was still in Loudoun County anyway, some semblance of, you know, people being able to see past a partisan label. But when President Trump won, it was, are you for Trump or are you against Trump? And for a lot of people, by the way, it, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, that's what they'll ask you. If they're a Republican, you have to support the president 100%. And if you're a Democrat, you have to oppose the president 100%. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're someone who likes some of the things the president does, but doesn't like the way he communicates, or doesn't like the way you know, he always represents himself, that, that sort of leaves you in sort of odd middle ground, right? right. And, so, and so that's what's been really interesting is so, for example, in, uh, in the primary election, so the, the last thing electorally I did was ran in the primary in 2019 for state senate uh, in a Republican primary. And essentially, like the long and short of it is because I wasn't ideologically pure enough or, you know, aligning with the current state of the Republican Party and being more of a classical Republican, um, you know, that, that basically is why I lost. And then Republicans lost the seat, a seat that they had previously held right. um, by actually a huge margin. The guy who beat me lost by 9%. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and obviously with someone who's more, uh, I would say, I wouldn't necessarily say centrist, but someone who's more pragmatic and been able to work across the aisle, you know, obviously we would have, we would have had a better shot at winning in a suburban district like this. Um, and so, but the reason why that happened is exactly because of those overarching trends that started in 20, you know, 2008 and 2010 and really manifested themselves with President Trump's election. Um, and, uh, and it really just gotten worse, especially in this area. I mean, the, there's a lot of, there's a lot of anti-Trump fervor, especially in Northern Virginia, but then 
the people that support the president really, really support the president. Yeah, that's so, one thing I found surprising. Uh, I thought yeah, it, I thought it's hard to find people that don't have a strong view on the president. Yeah. Um, so that's why um, like, I saw the, this past election as being um, very, very divisive on both sides. They were just like uh, working on the, um, the, in front of the schools before the, in front of the polls, people would just ask, all right, is, is he Republican or Democrat? And then they just go and vote. Like they really no room for talking about the issues. And even when it benefited really my candidate, even when it benefited my candidate, I was like, wait, no, that's not really the reason why you should be voting for him. But uh, it just kind of went um went out of control do you think and there, um, yeah there's always party there's always been party label people so people who just come in and grab the sample ballot and vote democrat yeah. all democrat all republican and let me just let's just talk about loud in particular where we're both base right it used to be i would say in suburban loud and you know it would be 25 percent of the voters would come in and take the republican sample ballot you know 30 25 or 30 percent would take the democratic sample ballot but then you have a lot of folks who wouldn't Right, and you'd have this vast middle that would decide the election. Right, right. But then it, it's really gotten to the point of like fifty percent of the people take the Democratic sample ballot because of who's in office. Thirty-five percent of people take the Republican sample ballot because they love the president. And then there's a really, really teeny, teeny subset of folks who aren't voting based on party right now, which is a, really a shame um, because it re- it does it leaves it, it doesn't judge elected officials by the content of their ideas or their character it simply is it's simply just a judgment call on which party they've decided to affiliate themselves with right that's um do you think the um like after the the obviously the 2019 board of supervisors election was very divisive but um when they all came together and for the inauguration there still seemed um that they were all talking about how it's important uh, to come together and unite and work across the aisle on the, um, in the, these next four years. So do you think um, that was more of just a campaign strategy and then the actual day-to-day functions of the Board of Supervisors really won't change? I mean, I think uh, if you look at the current Board of Supervisors, you see that there are some partisan stuff there's some partisan stuff going on or stuff that's more rhetorically based. Um, And it's to be expected. It's a presidential election year, but there's still the normal, there's still the normal things going on that really aren't not, that are really nonpartisan. And I think that the board continues to function in that way. And I continue to see strategic relationships being formed across party lines and, and big issues being worked on, you know, not just by one party or another. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with the people who are there, but I think it also has to do with the system in place too, that, that hopefully encourages that to continue. Right. Um, and I think one last, um, topic to talk about, um, regarding like your experience is your whole, um, your whole state Senate campaign was about like stopping high tolls. And do you think that, uh, was partisan, like, why do you like why do you think um a why do you think not enough people were talking about it because it seemed like you were really the only one pushing for it on both sides is it something like is there something i'm missing is there some like actual like um partisan uh divide on that issue no but that's what makes it a great issue in the general election is that a lot of people 
in Ashburn and in Loudoun County and even in Prince William County where that district stretched have to pay, you know, obviously this is pre-COVID, have to pay thousands of dollars a year in tolls. Um, and a lot of it is done through like a monopolistic system that's not necessarily fair to them. And so what I ran on in 2015 was building a parallel road to one of the major toll roads that runs through Ashburn called the Greenway. And that road is actually under construction right now, uh, which is exciting. Um, but uh, you know, it also has to do with how those toll roads are regulated as monopolies by the state. And so if the state lets them do whatever they want, obviously we have the current system where people, you know, the average worker, if you're commuting into DC, taking a toll road, you're probably paying four to $6,000 per year in tolls between the Greenway and the Dulles toll road. Um, and that's not really, that's not really good, especially from an econo economic empowerment model perspective. Certainly some folks in Loudoun can afford that, but there are many who can't. Uh, and and even if it's a matter of affordability, couldn't that six six thousand dollars be used for something better, like investing in, you know, education or investing in something else that improves your family? And so, you know, I think it it's something that resonates across party lines. Uh, as far, from a primary perspective, when you're running in a partisan primary, the people that vote are most likely to vote are the ones who are the most partisan, right? right? And right now, the state of the Republican Party, which is a party that I was running in at that time, right? It, it was, uh, it's really, it's really all about culture issues right now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's guns, it's, uh, it's cancel culture. And by the way, it's not like I'm totally out. I, I would say I'm wildly out of sync necessarily on those two topics, but there's, you know, it's, everything's about sort of the latest social issue, national social issue of the day, rather than sort of the local issues. Yeah. And I just didn't spend my time focusing on those or trying to be radical on those issues because one thing I'm not, and two, I don't think it's productive, yeah. right? To go basically trash people on the other side of the aisle on those topics when really it has very little to do with what governing is about at the state Senate level. Yeah. Um, and so it's one of those things where had I said the things it would have taken to win the state Senate race, I would have lost the general election. And on top of that, you know, so I could have like said things I didn't believe and maybe won that election for, mm -hmm. but then I would have lost a general. And so for one thing, I wouldn't ever want to say something I don't actually believe. Right. Right. And then secondly, I wouldn't have wanted to compromise being able to win in the general either. And so it happens, you know, I will say that from the beginning, you know, there was a pretty clear way of winning the primary and, and somebody got in late and the incumbent state Senator, who's a culture warrior and someone who, you know, sent plastic model fetuses to other people in the House of Delegates when he was there, endorsed my opponent. Yeah. And so it really became a massive sort of culture war situation where that's kind of what I was looking to avoid. Yeah. But obviously those, those issues are pick up steam and are a lot more popular, even though the, it really doesn't affect the day-to-day -day lives of people in Loudoun compared to an issue like tolls or transportation. Yeah. Well, it's, just, it's also an issue that can't necessarily be addressed. It, it can't be like, you know, it's the, on the abortion issue, you're not magically going to ban abortion in Virginia, right? Yeah. And, and by the way, this district wouldn't necessarily want that anyway, right? But they, mm -hmm. th there, could be, there could be small steps towards making sure that, you know, there's better education, more adoptions, you know, restricting late-term abortion, for example, trying to make, you know, trying, trying to really cut down on some of those really late term abortions that are legal in Virginia. And that's all stuff that I was 
fine with campaigning on. But when you're talking about basically banning abortion with no exceptions, not even for rape or incest or for the life of the mother, I don't think that's where Virginia is right now. And that's essentially where my campaign opponent was. Right. And so that's just, that's just one example. But if you go top, if you go, you know, if you go hot topic by hot topic on those types of issues, it's pretty much similar all the way around where, you know, I would say I'm right of center on those issues, but I'm pragmatic about it. Like you have to take baby steps if you want to see any progress at all. Um, and you know, if, if you're radically out of sync with your electorate, it's also not going to work either. Um, and so anyway, that's, yeah, that's, that's the, in a nutshell. That's the thing I've kind of been noticing about the Republican party of Virginia is like, cause if you look at the national election in general, the, a lot of, um, the, a lot of Democrats gravitated to Joe Biden saying, all right, he may not be as progressive as we like him to be, but he has the best chance of beating Donald Trump. Have, like, why do you think, like, Virginians have not, like, Virginian Republicans have not kind of, like, realized that they, they need to be more, more centrist, they need to be more, they can't be as um, extreme as they'd like to be because they're living in what's now become a, a blue state. Yeah, well, it's just about being strategic because, you know, it's not about necessarily how you feel about a particular topic because like in, a, in, a, in, your, own, in your own version of political utopia, you could want something, right? Yeah. But if it's not possible, then what's the point of, of campaigning on that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's, that's, what, that's what a lot of Virginia Republicans don't realize. But, and it hasn't changed because essentially when Republicans lose, so for example, when my opponent lost, he doesn't blame his radicalism right? What he blames is that, uh, you know, is basically rhinos didn't, like rhinos undermine him or, you know, rhinos being Republicans name only, only. Right. Or, or people blame that like any Republican would have lost because there's this big blue wave and, or they blame voter fraud. They always come up with some really non-logical excuse for why they lose and then they self-justify. Uh -huh. um, and so that's, that's what happens. Uh, that, and that's why the Republican Party hasn't changed. And it's not that dissimilar on the left. It does happen. Um, it's just the wind has been politically at their back. And so they've had less room for error as far as, as, far as their side. Yeah, but you see it in, you know, sort of the AOC movement, right, where like a lot of, a lot of progressives are challenging normal or mainstream Democrats in primaries and running them out. And if that were to start happening in more, you know, moderate districts, that could obviously have some negative consequences for them as well. So it's not just limited to one party necessarily. And we even saw that with the fact that there's still a lot of support for Bernie Sanders, even at this point um, during the Democratic convention here. Um, and, you know, I do think that Biden was nominated because of those reasons, because people thought, think that he was like strategically the best choice, but I'm not necessarily sure that's the case, to be honest with you. I think that, you know, certainly he's been more of a centrist over, over time, but I'm not sure that's necessarily the model that the Democrats are going to be able to use against this particular president successfully. The polls are pretty good for them right now, but just from like a strategic perspective, one has to sort of wonder if Biden, who, you know, is obviously struggling as far as communication goes, is, was really the right pick. I think Kamala Harris, hopefully, you know, from their perspective would excite some of the progressive base, but even she has problems with progressives. And so the people that powered Obama's victory were the young, excited millennials who wanted to 
get around the president's agenda. Joe Biden hasn't really put out an agenda, and neither has Kamala Harris yet. Um, and so there's not really much to get all that excited about. And the only thing that they're counting on, essentially, is there are enough people that want to get rid of Trump. And so they're just counting on the anti-Trump movement to take them into office. And I think that's a risky strategy. Um, I think it's, if, I was a, if I was a Democrat, I would be concerned about just wanting to only run on being opposed to the president. All right. Thanks, Ron. And that is it for part one of my conversation with Ron Meyer. In the next part, we will dive deeper into national politics, the 2020 election, and D.C. partisanship. Hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll see you guys next time.